Honestly, 2020 was a, you know, mixed bag for me. Um, there was definitely my fair share of rough parts, but like I also got married this year, so that was a big plus. Big plus. Definitely outkicked my coverage, but hey, the prayers of a righteous man are powerful and effective. But hey, um, guys, there's 51 days uh, left in 2020, and whether this was your year or not. Um, I think that we can agree that it has been a wild, wild year. Um, And I can think back to, you know, the end of 2019. You know, everyone is brimming with excitement. It's a new year. It's a new decade. You know, everyone's having a great time. We're thinking like, man, this is our opportunity to turn over a new leaf. This is our opportunity to make a dent in the universe uh, you know, there's chatter of, hey, it's the, it's the roaring 20s, which if you're a history nerd like myself, you're like, whoa, that's actually kind of scary. Um, but everyone is just brimming with excitement on New Year's Eve, and there's just optimism. And then it was like, boom, crash and burn, man, like right out of the gate. Uh, if you guys just, you know, can kind of try to remember this year with me, and as I was kind of going through and recapping this as I was writing this, I was like, man, some of this stuff feels like it was years ago, and it was just months ago. Uh, but if you guys remember, back in January, we started off the year with threats of international war um, with Iran and some other powers that were kind of going on. And then we moved right along into February, where we had a presidential impeachment, um, which was followed by and topped off by a worldwide global pandemic that shut down the entire world that has affected literally every single person that lives on our planet. We have worked from home. Uh, while we were working from home, the show called Tiger King was released. And man, if that's not a testament to everything that is wrong in our country, that TV show is. It's just like a train wreck that you can't look away from. Um, Man, some of us in here, on a more serious note, though, as the pandemic has raged on, we've dealt with economic turmoil. Some of us in here have lost our jobs. Some of us in here have not been able to pay rent for the first time. Some of us in here have maybe had to go file for unemployment for the first time. We didn't know when we were going to be able to return to worship in person, when we were going to be able to go back to our small groups. We Zoomed until our eyes got tired and watered. Um, we had a toilet paper shortage for some reason. I'm still upset with you guys about that. It's unnecessary. We are in month eight of 15 days to slow the spread. You guys, some of you guys will get that in the parking lot. You're like, oh, month, month eight to 15. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, guys, we're still dealing with just division in our country. Uh, there has been racial turmoil and division in our country. People are more divided now. Uh, sociologists say that we are the most divided as a country since the Civil War, since we literally split apart into two factions and fought each other. Uh, not to mention everything that you have probably dealt with this year, just on a personal level. The stories that are not going to make the news, the stories that are not going to trend on Twitter, but just the things that you've had to deal with in your life. I shared with you guys uh, when we regathered that the CDC did a report back in August in 2020. Um, 74.9% of young adults this year have reported adverse mental effects that they have never felt 
before. 74.9, we might as well call it 75%, three quarters. Three quarters of people 18 to 30 for the first time are like, man, I'm dealing with severe mental effects right now. 25% of those people have contemplated suicide for the first time this year. So we can agree that 2020 has been nothing less than challenging. It's been a make-or-break year for me. It's been a make-or-break year for our community. It has been a make-or-break year as a ministry and a church. And what I've heard a lot of is, you know, I just can't wait for this year to be over. Like so many people have been just talking about, if we can just make it to 2021 as if there is some guarantee that whenever we turn the page on the calendar that this year will get better, that these challenges will just vanish and that they will go away. Guys, there's no guarantee that 2021 will be easier. And I want to say, you know, no matter where you kind of fall on the spectrum of listening to experts or listening to news or science or whatever that is, pretty much wherever you fall on the spectrum, this is the range that we're looking at for 2021. Um, Pretty much all experts, no matter where you fall, say, hey, life will go back to some form of normalcy, whatever that looks like for our world and our nation, whenever there is a vaccine that is produced and readily available. Now, there was great news yesterday um, that a company reported that they have a vaccine they believe is 90% effective. But even with that, we're looking at potentially four to 11 months from the time that it's finished to the time whenever we can go back to no social distancing, no mass, no all those other things. Four to 11 months. That's midway through or almost all of 2021. Now, listen, guys, I don't say this to discourage you at all. And some of you guys may be thinking, well, you're not doing a good job of encouraging me right now. No, I say that so that when we come out of this, whenever that is, when we come out of this season of life, I want us as a ministry, I want you guys as young adults, you guys as followers of Christ to come out stronger, to come out better. What I prayed for you guys the whole time we were shut down every single day, my prayer for LYA is that we would come back stronger. And I believe in a God who answers prayers, who never leaves us and forsakes us. And you guys have actually all experienced this truth with me this year, uh, whether you have realized or not. Because if you remember, um, or if you want to go back to in the beginning of the year, all the way in January, we did a series called Voyage 2020. And part of that series is we were casting vision for the year. And we said the one thing that we wanted to do as a ministry, as Liberty Young Adults, as the Voyage on Tuesdays, is we did not want to just go to church, but we wanted to be the church. That we wanted to do that. That we were like, wait, it's not about going to church, it's about being the church. Well, hey, uh, prayer answered, right? Maybe not the way that we thought it was going to be answered. Maybe not the way that we planned. So the question tonight we're looking at is how do we come out better? How do we come out different on the other side? And and really quick to kind of try to set the stage for this, I want us to look, um, coming on screen here, at pain, suffering, and trauma and what God is really doing in all of it. Because I think when we're dealing with a year like this, when we deal with pain and suffering really all around us, we're dealing with disappointment, distraction, and all these things, um, I think it's really helpful for us to try to define some of these terms. So pain at the very top here, pain is what happens. Pain is what happens. It's the event that takes place. It is the actual thing. It's just the facts. It's the sickness. It's the hurtful words that were said to you. It's that moment that is frozen in time in your memory. It's that, that feeling that you felt whenever you got the news. Pain is just what it is. Pain is just pain. 
moving on to suffering. Suffering is the meaning that we attempt to derive from that event as we deal with the hurt, as you deal with the pain. It's, it's the things that you're trying to work through, those thought catalogs that you go through, those inner conversations you have where you're trying to justify it, trying to piece it together, trying to understand why these things happen. That's suffering. And the bottom is trauma. Trauma is the wound that marks you as the result of pain. It's the thing that, you, that carries with you as you come out of that event. When you experience a traumatic event, guys, it will change you. There is no question about it. It's really how that effect changes you, though, that is up to you. You have no choice but to change. But what you do have control over is how that change is going to look and how it's going to affect. And psychologists have developed this theory actually called post-traumatic growth theory. Post-traumatic growth theory. And basically the idea is that there are ways that people, they have discovered, have gone through really traumatic seasons of life or traumatic events, painful things, long seasons of suffering, all these things that we've just talked about, and they've actually grown from it. They've actually come out a more holistic and a, a better person. So when we look at a year as traumatic as this one, the question again remains, how do we come out of 2020 better? How in the future, how in 2021, how in the future when I have to deal with things that are bound to happen more seasons of struggle how do i come out better and where is god in all of this and why isn't god stepping in why isn't god stopping this why isn't god doing more and i hope that we're going to answer that question tonight so let's pray and let's study and let's seek together you guys bow with me lord we are here for you lord we're here because just as we sang lord you have risen God, and because you have risen, God, we can walk in the newness of life. God, we have the privilege, but also the responsibility, being your representatives here on earth. God, it's not something that we take lightly because we know that true life and true true joy, as we're going to find, is found in that, God. And even in seasons and crazy as this one, God, even though some of us in here, Lord, we have probably came in here and had the craziest day. People have said things to us that are very hurtful. Words are ringing around in our mind right now, Lord. And I just pray for everyone in here who came in here with a weary and laden spirit. God, that just over the next 30 minutes, 40 minutes, next hour, however long they're here with us tonight in this place. God, I pray that this will be a time of refreshment. This will be a time where people experience the refuge of your Holy Spirit, God, where we get to experience community. God, I pray tonight as we, 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 we open your word, God, I pray that you will speak through me, God. I can't help anyone, but you can. As we study your word, Lord, I pray that the same Holy Spirit, God, that empowered James to speak these words 2,000 years ago, God, would empower me right now. God, I pray that I step out of the way and that you step in. We ask this in the power of Christ's name. Amen. All right, I want you guys to open up uh, to James chapter 1 verse 1, James 1, 1. So you can flip or tap your way over there. If you don't have your copy of God's Word, you're welcome to follow along on screen with us. For you guys that are joining us online tonight, it should be appearing uh, for you guys as well. Um, So 
James. James is the half-brother of Jesus, and he's writing this letter uh, because 2,000 years ago, honestly, they have no uh, better way, no better technology to communicate with each other other than letters. So a letter is the most high-tech mode of communication. So he's writing this letter to a church uh, that has had to run and scatter from Jerusalem. So you can imagine there's a bunch of Christians that live in the central location of Jerusalem, and then a big wave of persecution came on these people. People are being stoned, they're being flogged, they're getting beat up, um, they're being oppressed in all sorts of ways. So they've gone from Jerusalem, and they've had to disperse and scatter all out to the surrounding area. So they are not together, they are very much scattered, they're out of their normal right, life rhythms, they can't do the things that they would normally do. Sound kind of familiar to you guys? Um, so they're a church that is facing multiple issues at once. Not only are they facing multiple issues from every single direction that James is going to address in his letter, but they are also not able to gather. They are also scattered apart. So without further ado, let's read right here. So it says, James, a servant of God and the Lord Jesus Christ. So James is just letting you know, hey, I'm the one who's writing this letter. I'm a servant of God and God is the Lord Jesus Christ. And he says, to the 12 tribes scattered among the nations. Greetings. So he's like, hey, what's up, y'all? Um, to all you guys that are all scattered around. Um, moving on right here uh, to verse 2, we're going to get into what kind of advice James is going to offer as the leader of these people. So again, try to, the best you can, immerse yourself in this situation. If you're the leader, what type of advice am I going to offer to all of the 12 tribes who have been scattered around? Um, he says this, consider it Pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds. Now, for us, what we're going to have to do tonight is we're going to have to try to put ourselves in the shoes of the people who would have read this for the first time 2,000 years ago. Because I think that the way forward for us, the way that we can find hope for the future, is actually by looking in the past. So we're going to kind of actually look through this word by word because what the word meant to them, we may not necessarily pick up on 2,000 years later. So the first word, consider. Um, some of you guys' translations might even say to count it, count it all joy. This one says consider it, pure joy. Some of you guys might say count it all joy. Uh, this word, it means like, hey, take everything in your life, consider it, count it up. Take everything in your life right now and count it up. It's a word kind of like how an accountant uh, counts up expenses and income, and then they draw a conclusion. They put it all in a big spreadsheet, and then they look down at the bottom line. You can kind of imagine it's also like weighing two things against each other. You guys know on that old-time kind of antique uh, scale. So he's saying, hey, calculate everything up in life, everything that's going on. Weigh it out, all the trials that you're going through, all the circumstances, all the problems. And when you get to the bottom line of that spreadsheet, the conclusion that you should draw is joy, that the net profit of everything that's happening in your life should be joy. When you crunch the numbers as a believer, the conclusion is joy. When we weigh the hope that we have that Jesus has overcome the dark forces in this world, that he has overcome and even defeated death, joy becomes logical. It becomes logical. And that second word, joy, it doesn't mean what we often mean in 21st century America. The biblical word for joy is the word car, and it doesn't mean just happiness that like the American dream is selling us. It's not like a circumstantial happiness um, that we often think about like, hey, this is what joy is. No, the, the biblical word is different. But just for, you know, purposes of what we're talking about, often when what you and I talk about happiness or joy, 
it is a circumstantial-based thing. It's this fleeting feeling that comes and goes. And if you think about it, every single company in America is using you and profiting off you by selling you this idea. Think about it. Buy our car and you will be a happier person. If you do, vacation at our resort, look how happy everyone is uh, in our advertisements for it. Buy our clothes and you'll be happier because you will look better. Uh, it's in all of the slogans for all of our major companies. Think about it. Coke's slogan is open up happiness. And in all of Coke's commercials, you'll see people who look extremely happy while they're drinking a Coke. McDonald's is, I'm loving it. Eat our food, you're loving it now, you're hating it later. Um, <laughs> Nike. Nike's is unleash your inner athlete because what they're saying is, hey, is if you can just unleash your inner athlete, you're going to be a happier person. Um, and then when you're on your jog and you're dying and you're like, is this really what happiness is? Happiness really hurts. You're like, hey, this is a lot. Um, and the problem is, is all of those things are all circumstantial, guys. You finish one Coke and you're still sad. So you're like, man, I, I guess I got to open another one. Like Fortune 500 companies became Fortune 500 companies with this, by property and by saying, hey, this is, this is how you become happy is by using our product. You will be a better person if you do that. But the biblical word for joy is not that. It's not a circumstantial happiness because it is joy that is derived from outside of the circumstance that you find you're in. It cannot be affected by circumstances. It can't be taken away from hard times. It cannot be drowned out or doused because it comes directly from God. And it is based on the belief that we belong to Jesus and that Jesus has overcome death and suffering and that he dealt the deciding blow on the cross. And because of that, we can have hope in hardship, guys. And I don't believe that it's prosperity gospel to believe that God has a corresponding hope and a corresponding joy for every single trial you go to. Because while I do not believe that God sends suffering on us directly, he never wastes opportunity as a form uh, or as an opportunity to form you and to free you. That's the difference is we have this joy that is immovable and that it is unshakable because we've read the end of the book. And we know that we belong to Christ, that nothing can move us in that, and that Jesus, through his church, is slowly undoing the suffering here as heaven invades earth and that we are a part of that, guys. The next words here. So we just said, consider it pure joy. So think about this. Consider it pure joy. So calculate all of this up, and the logical conclusion is joy, but it's not a joy that's like the happiness that we're kind of used to in America. No, it's, it's, it's an unchanged, unmoving joy. And then he says, my brothers and sisters. So he's not saying, hey, just anyone who ever reads this, this is for you. No, he says, my brothers and sisters, only people who are believers. He's talking to you. Anyone who would say, hey, I believe and follow Jesus. So what that means is as we continue to press through this tonight, is one, you can't expect everyone that you know to understand this and to get this. And two, on top of that, this is going to really butt heads with some conventional wisdom that we've picked up from living in a secular society that maybe we didn't even realize. So you can say, consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds. Whenever it says, whenever you face, what he means is it's not interesting it's interesting that he says it's not if you face, it's not if you have hard times, it's not if you have trials, guys. We have to remember that the ease in life is the exception to the rule. 
that life is generally pretty hard. Life is generally pretty challenging. And Christ, through his word, has given us equipment to deal with it, but that doesn't give you a free pass. That doesn't give anyone in this world a free ticket to an easy life. No, it's not normal for things in life to be easy. In fact, Jesus promised us, John 16, 33, in this life you have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world, guys. And that is a truth that takes a lot of maturity to accept. It takes a lot of maturity to grasp, to understand that Christ is working through us to undo the brokenness, step by step, conversation by conversation. And the next word, face, it means when you come upon something that you didn't expect. So James is pretty much almost saying right here, like, hey, whenever you face trials of many kinds, like this is the pain that you did not plan for in your life. It's the accident that you didn't see coming. It's the conversation that caught you out of left field. You guys still with me? The word trial here, so whenever you face trials, that word trial, it comes from the Greek word parasmos. Uh, parasmos is where we get our English word plagues. Like, hello? Makes sense? Uh, so it's trials of many kinds. It's not just a single kind of trial. It's not just one singular thing he's talking about. It's every single thing that you could imagine that is heart-wrenching and hard for you. It's your car breaking down again. It's your boss firing you. It's your family member getting that unexpected diagnosis. It's the pain that you don't plan for, the pain that you probably wouldn't wish on anyone, yet you look around and it's happening to you. Yet James says, we can consider that pure joy. Now, how does that make sense? Luckily, the next verse says why. Keep, keep following along with me in verse 3. It says, because that you know the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Uh, and the word know here, so he says, because you know... So that word know, it doesn't mean like know, like how you kind of know like intellectual facts, like you know that George Washington was the president, uh, the first president of the United States, like you know Pythagorean theorem in your head. No, it's, it's like an experiential knowledge. It's knowledge that you can only get from going through something, something that you can only gain from experience. It's the difference in going and walking the streets of Paris versus just going there on Google Maps and on Google Earth. Uh, it's the idea um, of, of field testing something. It's like how you can know something only through testing it, through putting it through a field test. Um, my favorite pair of shoes uh, that I've ever owned uh, is uh, a pair of shoes called a Reebok Nano 6. Uh, and Reebok Nano 6 is my favorite shoe um, because it was designed uh, to be able to go through all kinds of different um, things. So whenever they Reebok designed and put this shoe together, what they did was they sent it out to athletes all over the country and they put it through a rigorous field test. They put thousands of hours into developing this shoe. And they said, hey, what I want you guys to do is I want you to take these shoes out. I want you to put it through the toughest workouts. I want you guys to run through mud. I want you to, to climb up ropes with it, jump over stuff, and just keep, just keep beating it up because we want to develop the best shoe possible um, because we want to see that our product can withstand the test and that it has durability. And what James is saying is the kind of faith trials produce is that pain that you didn't plan to produce, but it can only come through that kind of rigorous testing. That we have to go through these field tests where we go through all kinds of trials all types of tests, all types of circumstances. 
because it's that kind of testing that produces this level of faith. The faith that we need to make it through years like 2020. The faith that we're going to need to make it through 2021. And the faith that we're going to need to make it through life. And we often think that faith, it, that it just means like belief. And belief is our trust and our reliance in God. But what faith is, faith is our ability to hold on. It's your ability to keep going. That's why some of your Bibles, instead of using perseverance, that might say things like uh, that it produces endurance, or it might say that it produces steadfastness. Because it's a popular adage in distance running to say, if it doesn't challenge you, it doesn't change you. And that is the idea that this text is getting at. Sometimes you go through life, and life feels like a marathon. And sometimes it feels like you're running a marathon and then you find out that you're running a triathlon because you're running and then you're dog tired and then you realize, oh, I got to get on the bicycle and I got to pedal for a while. And then you get off the bicycle and realize, oh, I got to swim for a while, but I wasn't planning for that. Sometimes that's what life feels like, doesn't it? But it is when you are the most tired. It is when you are the most pressed on every single side that you are growing stronger in your ability to trust God that you are growing spiritual muscles that you did not know that you had. In fact, the word perseverance here, like I said, some of you guys' Bibles might say endurance or steadfastness, but really what the word get is, here is getting at is it's a hope that you can draw on that is in the future, but it provides energy for here and now. This is what God is trying to produce within you. This is what God is trying to breathe life to in your life something that you can look to in the future that is going to provide energy for you here and now because that is how believers get through trials of many, many different kinds. We look to the future of what God is doing to continue to energize us in the present. Verse 4, as we get ready to close out here. Verse 4 says, Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking in anything. It says, let it finish its work. You know what that means? It means don't try to skip out early. Don't try to tap out early. Let it run its course. When we're going through suffering, we're going through a year like this, when you're going through whatever it is that you're going through, like I said, we all like have this thing inside our minds like, man, if I could just make it to this, then it'll be over. If I could just end this right now, that would be great. But yet what James is saying is don't try to get out of it early because of what it's producing in you. Let it finish. Let it run its course because the reward is so great. Why? Because the reward is that you would be more mature and complete, not lacking in anything. The idea that trials and these things that, that hurt us, these things that cause us to suffer— take away from our life. James says that's not true. You have the option to let God use that. You have the option to actually let God make you a more complete person as a result of it, to make you more whole, to make you more full, to form maturity in you guys. And I want to tell you, maturity is not found in short spurts. You cannot just short spurt your way into being a mature person. No, maturity comes from long, simple obedience in the same direction. It is consistency over intensity. So when we look at all these things, like what kind of conclusion can we draw? 
Again, I think that we have a choice tonight for how we're going to grow as a result of this year. For how we're going to be changed because you will be changed. Our country will be changed. Our world will be changed. It is not a question of if we will change. It is how we're going to change. And if you look at a, a secular worldview, it has no equipment to deal with the, a, a year like this, to deal with a year of suffering. As Christians, guys, we discover our meaning in life. We discover it. But for those who do not believe and follow Jesus, outside of God, your only option is like this self-generated meaning. And I feel like some of us in here, we might be trying to self-generate our own meaning, and that is what is robbing us of life every day. What is yours? Is it the dream of the perfect family, of finding the fairy tale person to live happily ever after with? Is that the driving force that keeps you going every single day? Is it success? Getting to the top of the ladder, closing the big deal, getting the big salary, finally reaching that rank. What happens when the economic engine grinds to a halt? No meaning. No meaning. Everything that you work for is all gone. Maybe it's just a smaller dream of retirement. Like you're just like, hey, if I can just keep it low key until I can retire, hit the golf course, enjoy a nice meal before settling back down and hiding out until the next day. Like that's my dream. Guys, all of that is the American pursuit of happiness that we talked about earlier. And if you derive meaning from any of those things, you see suffering at most as an interruption to your life. Suffering is an obstacle that you need to overcome so that you can get back to what you're doing. In a year like 2020, I don't see how your life could not be completely derailed. But if you're a believer, we don't see pursuit of happiness as the goal of life. No, we see spiritual maturity in the pursuit of authentic relationships as the goal of our life. I really believe that, that trauma is what happens, these painful marks that we carry in life are what happens whenever we have painful events in our life and during the suffering we have no relational home. We have no one to join arms with us, to be alongside us, to love us, to care for us. Guys, sometimes we don't need a pep talk. We don't need a list of to-dos. Hey, here's seven ways that you can do better. Sometimes we just need someone to sit with us and to listen with us and abide with us in love. That's how we reach post-traumatic growth, where we come out as a more full, a more whole, a more mature person on the other side. Because the number one factor in people recovering from trauma in life is the quality of relationships they have around them. Anyone who goes through a traumatic event in life is a one-to-one ratio. How well they recover is based directly on how many deep qualitative relationships that they have around them. Can I just ask you, do you have a relational home? Like, do you have people who will be real and honest and authentic with you? Do you have people who will tell you the stuff that you need to hear even when you don't want to hear it? Do you have people who will give you advice that's not from the stuff that they've read online, but it's from the unchanging, unmoving word of God? Do you have people like that in your life? Because if you don't, there's a lot of groups of people here who would love to invite you into theirs. So if you don't have one of those groups, come talk to us at the Next Step Center. Or you don't even have to do that. You can just pull out your phone and go to libertylive.church slash find a group. Because we would love to be that for you.
because I believe that in the future, as much as we've needed each other this year, we're going to need each other even more next year. Guys, maturity comes from learning to trust and follow God in circumstances that you can't control. We've all been through those before. Circumstances that we can't control, things that we would not have wished, things that we did not see coming. It's that moment whenever they broke up with you and you don't know why. When you got passed over again for the promotion. It's whenever you went broke when you weren't intending to. It's a time that you didn't get invited and it really stung and it really hung with you a little longer than you thought it would. Whenever we're in those moments, we all have a choice. You have your own Garden of Eden moment before the tree. Am I going to trust God or am I going to try to take control of the situation? Now as we close, I can't help but think in here that some of us have a lingering question. Like why suffering? Like, okay, I understand that God's goal for my life is for me to be spiritually mature and for me to have authentic relationships. But like, why does he have to use suffering to get me there? Like, why does it have, why can't it be something else? Like I said earlier, I don't believe that God sends suffering on us directly, but I believe that he always uses it. And here's what I believe about suffering. Suffering reveals the things that we are holding on to the tightest in life. It reveals the things that we are putting our trust in the most. It reveals the things that we are holding closest to our hearts. It reveals our idols, which are things that we attach to and we addict to. I think that God uses suffering to allow the toxicity in our soul to bubble up the surface so that he can deal with it. And I will not lie or I will not deny to you guys that at points it feels emotionally excruciating. But it also sets you free. Jesus wants to set you free from your idols. He wants to set you free from those attachments. So that you can be whole and complete. Not so that you would be less of a person, so that you would be more of a person. Not so that you would have less life, but that you would have more Life. So what do we need to let go of in 2020 so that God can breathe new life into it? I know for me this year, this has been a year where God has really had to deal with ego and this whole thing of wanting to be liked by other people. Guys, it was easy for me in January when there was 100 plus of us here in this room. It was really hard for me in April and May when we had like three people online watching us. And like one of them was my mom. God taught me to let go of my ego and remember, hey, we're here for anyone who wants to sit and learn at the feet of Jesus. That's why we're here. We're here for anyone who will say, hey, I'm a complete mess and I'm ready to go on the journey for completeness. I'd say this year God taught me to love other people in new and real ways that love. Loving others isn't just well-wishing people. It's not just positive energy and positive vibes to other people. No, it's real, tangible acts along the way. Some are small, some are large, some are somewhere in between. And that's what it really means to love other people. I would say this year God breathed new life into me in the way that he taught me to hope in new ways. That whenever I hope for stuff that's based on circumstances, it's like building a house on a sinking sand. But most of all, and I think we're going to end with this, is that revival, that spiritual renewal, it's something that I've heard people talk about my entire Christian life, I feel like. You guys ever 
hear, you know, people talk about, man, we need to be praying for a revival. We need a revival to come to our nation. We need a revival to come to our church. We need a revival to come to our community. We need to experience spiritual renewal. People need to turn and repent. You guys know what I'm talking about? Revival and renewal will not come to our community, our church, or our nation until it comes to us. And you cannot hope that anyone around you, even in your small group, will experience spiritual renewal until you experience spiritual renewal within yourself. So I want to close out this time by just letting us pray and letting us reflect for just a few moments on this year. So in a second, we're going to bow and we're going to be really quiet and we're going to focus in and we're going to listen for that gentle, still whisper of the Holy Spirit. And I just want you to pray and reflect on just moments in this year. The feelings and the emotions you felt, good and bad. I want you to, to reflect on trials that you've gone through, the pain that you didn't plan for. But I also want you to think about right now the choice that you have in front of you. Is this going to be a post-traumatic growth for me? Is this going to be a year of spiritual renewal for me? Is this going to be a year where I confront and I deal with these things and these things that God has brought and bubbled to the surface within me? Am I going to let the Holy Spirit deal with those? So would you just all just bow really quick? We're going to spend the next few minutes just quietly, just in prayer, just convening with the Lord. And I'll close this out. Lord, we believe that there is 
so much pain and suffering that's around us. Lord, sometimes we see it, sometimes we experience it. Lord, I know that each of us in this room, God, that we have faced trials of many kinds. God, that we have faced pain that we did not plan for. But Lord, I believe that you are the God who does not waste anything. And I believe that you are the God who one day will wipe away every tear. So God, I pray that each of us in here, myself included, that when we are going through things that are painful, when we are in the season of suffering where we're trying to make sense, and Lord, maybe even in the times when we're looking back on it, God, we have a choice. Lord, and I pray that in those, those moments, God, that we would choose you. Because you want to make us not less human, but more human, God. You don't want us to have less joy. You want us to have more joy, God. We don't, you don't want us to have less life. You want us to have more life. So, God, we thank you that in suffering and in trying circumstances, God, that it's not just because, oh, the world is a terrible place or it's not just because that you're, you're, you're mad at us or something ridiculous like that. No, Lord, that you are using these circumstances to make us more full and more complete and more whole. So, God, we thank you for being the God who does not stay on the sidelines, God, but the God who steps in, comforts us when we are hurting, holds us up when we are weak, surrounds us with like-minded people who will sit and abide with us. God, I pray that we would be those people to those who are hurting. God, your word says, pity the man who falls down and there's no one there to help him up. God, we've all fell down in life before. God, help us be the one to help others up. Lord, and I just pray for whoever in this room, God, tonight when they were praying that something just, just in their soul has been bubbling to the surface this year as they've gone through trials and they know that it's something that they need to deal with and they know that it's something that they need to be set free from. God, I pray tonight, Lord, before that they go to bed, they would turn that over to you, that they would release that to you, God, and they would experience the freedom of what it is to walk with you, to be indwelled by the Holy Spirit. God, and we ask this in the power of Jesus' precious and perfect name. Amen. 